Good morning, everyone. My name is Walter. I am a member here at Holmes Avenue, and I'm grateful you guys would join us this morning. I hope that you're having a wonderful morning in your homes and that you've been encouraged by our worship team leading us in this time of worship. Uh, today, we're going to continue our series in spiritual disciplines, and we're going to be looking specifically at the spiritual discipline of evangelism. Now, this is one of the spiritual disciplines that I think for most people can be rather uh, discouraging and, and, quite frankly, a difficult one for them to do. Uh, yet, I also think it's one of the most encouraging ones when we're faithful to do it. Uh, with that in mind, I'd love for us to look at the text and begin to see what God's Word says here. We're going to be Matthew chapter 4, specifically focusing on verse 19. We're going to read everything in context there, beginning in verse 18. Uh, if you would, would you stand with us as we read God's Word? Beginning of verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending the nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. If you would, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are grateful for this time to study your word. I pray that as we look at this passage and think about the spiritual discipline of evangelism, that we are encouraged, that we are encouraged that you are faithful in the midst of this, to work in our lives, to work in the lives of others. I pray that we would be strengthened by these words, that we would know that you are working in our lives even now. I pray that you bless us as we read the scriptures. May we learn the truths you have here. May you allow us to grow and thrive in you and you alone. Father, we're grateful for this opportunity we have to study the word together, and I pray that you bless us richly in this time. Thank you for all the things you've done for us, and we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as you guys are here with us, uh, I indicated we're going to be focusing in specifically on verse 19. Uh, this is actually where we're going to be the entire uh, sermon. We're going to be looking at this one verse. And for some of you, you may think that you're going to get out early today. Uh, I am long-winded, and that is not going to happen, so don't count on that. Now, beginning with verse 19, I want to read this for us, and we're going to focus in on just small chunks at a time. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want to begin with this follow me portion. This follow me portion uh, is something Jesus begins to say to them. And ultimately, uh, as we look at this, this tells us something about evangelism. You see, our first point is that evangelism begins with a call to follow Christ. It begins with this call. Now, it's a big deal as we look at this passage to follow a rabbi in this time. This is what Jesus is known as. He's a Jewish teacher. And for a, a rabbi to come to you and say, follow me, it was a huge honor. You didn't get to go to the teacher and say, I want to come along and learn. The rabbi approached you. And so for Jesus to come to them and say, follow me, this is a big deal. You know, they've already heard of John the Baptist, who's kind of the forerunner of Christ. That he's been around doing ministry and proclaiming this Messiah that's coming. And they've already heard of this Jesus. And frankly, as they hear Jesus say, come follow me, they're thinking, this, this is the Messiah that people are talking about. And for them, even in their context, just within the Jewish culture of the Messiah, it's a hugely important deal to be the Messiah. It's a huge honor for them to follow them. Let's think about what the Messiah, his role was with the Jewish people. That for most people within Jewish culture, they thought that the Messiah was going to come to free them from the tyranny of Rome. That he was going to lead Israel to a new age. 
they were so incredibly excited to be a part of this ministry because they see this and they go, we're going to be a part of setting our people free. We're going to be a part of changing the culture. We're going to be a part of something that is important and real and significant. And so they say, yeah, let's go after this Messiah. And we begin to learn something about what it means to not only evangelize, but what it means to be a disciple. You see, to be a disciple, we must recognize and accept who Jesus is, and we must place ourselves under his authority. We must recognize and accept who Jesus is, and we must place ourselves underneath his authority. Remember, he says, come and follow me. This means we begin to be disciples when we're positioned behind him. He leads, we follow. John 12, 26 says it this way, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. You see, when we are disciples of Christ, we are following faithfully in his footsteps. Now, a second concept that we have to understand here about this idea of follow me, that to follow Jesus, this means that we're to obey him. That it's clear from Jesus' teachings that if we love him, if we are indeed disciples, right, we're going to obey his teachings. That this doesn't mean necessarily that we're perfect or we've got it all together. Let me be the first to tell you, if you're here expecting perfect people in church, well, you're in the wrong place because there's not a perfect one that you've seen today. Uh, I will certainly confess to you to not being uh, the person who's got it all together. But what it does mean is that we're doing what it takes to get to the end goal. That is becoming more like Christ. That we're following in his footsteps day after day, becoming more like the God of the universe. Now, as you're listening to this, for some of you, you've been following Jesus for a while. And you've realized something pretty quickly about being a disciple. It's not really easy sometimes, isn't it? In fact, sometimes it's, it's really hard to be a disciple of Christ. And maybe you're listening and you're, you're not a believer and, and you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, that's probably not something I want to be a part of. That's fair. That's fair. I just want to be very honest with you and call, the, call this out as best I can. The reality of our lives as a believer is that it's hard to be a follower of Christ. Why? Well, first and foremost, we have our own sin and selfishness that we wrestle with, right? That uh, We've talked about this in, in previous weeks, and, and frankly, if you've got kids, you understand uh, what this looks like, but we don't have to be taught to care about ourselves. No one has to give us a class and give us a couple of credit hours for this uh, to learn how to be selfish. We do a pretty good job of that by ourselves, that you and I are naturally desiring to look out for ourselves and ourselves alone. Now, that's because we are sinful creatures. Uh, that Remember, we are born sinful creatures. That is, we choose to sin. We make choices that are against the things that God would have for us. We are also predisposed to sin. We like to sin. That we willingly choose that before Christ has redeemed our hearts. And that's really one major reason why it's hard to be a disciple of, of Christ. Because we are sinful creatures who choose to do things like sin. Now, we also have to remember that as we are followers of Christ, we have an enemy. This is found throughout Scripture, but we see Satan and his forces are enemies of the disciples of Christ. That is, if you are a follower of Christ Jesus, you've got a target on your back. 
that when Satan looks at the world, remember Satan was once an angel who rebelled against God, who wanted to be like God, and was condemned and cast out of heaven for this. You see, he looks upon the world, this creation that God has, this imago day, where we're reflecting the image of God. And he looks around and goes, everything reminds him of God. And everything here is an enemy of him. Now, as if that's not enough, you and I, as followers of God, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And so it's like a little Christ that lives in us. And Satan looks upon us and he sees his worst enemy, that is, Christ, the one that he crucified, trying to end his ministry. And so Satan is out to get us, plain and simple. Now, this isn't to say that everything's got something to do with spiritual warfare. Sometimes you get a flat tire because you parked in a bad part of town. Let's call it like it is. But we can't make light of the fact that there is an enemy out there. And the enemy would love nothing more for us to, to sin, would love nothing for, for, more for us to get off the path of following Christ, would love nothing more for us to get distracted and to fail to keep our eyes upon Jesus. See, being a disciple is hard, not only because of what we bring to the table, but because of the forces that are around us. Yet, there's hope in the midst of this, that if indeed we are following Jesus, we're going to be able to submit to Him and walk with Him daily. That Remember, we know the goal is to be like Jesus, that is to follow in His footsteps. So, we're going to have to do what it takes to get there. That's a part of what we're talking about here, are these spiritual disciplines. That we're studying these concepts because these are the things that it takes for us to get there, to be like Christ. That's reading the Bible. That's praying. That's worshiping. That's proclaiming the gospel. That's fasting. That's being a part of community and accountability. That these things are essential to the walk of Christ. I would submit to you that you have never encountered a Christian who is doing well on their own. That is, it doesn't have a church home, that doesn't have people that are holding them accountable, that doesn't have people who are walking and encouraging them. The truth of it is that there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. In fact, if you are familiar with the show, the Lone Ranger even had Tonto, so it's not like he was by himself. That The truth of the matter is that to follow Jesus faithfully, we need to practice these things and be a part of a community. Be a part of a family of God that is walking with us, that is together following Christ in his footsteps. That this idea of evangelism begins with a call. This is not only a call to discipleship to walk with Christ, but to walk with the greater church body, that is a local church. For some of you that are watching this, you're not a part of a local church. And trust me, I'm not going to be here to condemn you or, or criticize you for that. I know the truth is that it's hard to find a local church sometimes. But what I would submit to you is that you need to make that a priority in your life, to pursue being a part of a local church. That, yes, there are a lot of things you might be looking for in a church, but what are the most important things? Do they love Jesus and love others? It's a pretty good benchmark to begin with. Some of you are faithful church members who, when the doors are open, you're here, and I'm grateful for you. You're a part of community. You're being encouraged and called out in your sin so that you may become more like Christ. That ultimately, if we're going to follow God and answer this call that evangelism provides, we must begin to walk after Him. 
Now, Jesus doesn't end there. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want to look specifically at the second part, I will make you. You see, something we have to understand about this spiritual discipline of evangelism is that evangelism is rooted in our identity. That I, I think it can be best said is that uh, as you think about this concept of evangelism, we don't practice evangelism, we are evangelists. That is, that every man, woman, and child who is a professing believer is called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ coming to seek and save the lost, because that's who they are. They were the lost that is now found. That that is who they are. You see, after this invitation of follow me, Jesus begins to reveal his intentions to these disciples. You see, as we look at this, we don't have a lot of answers about what was said. Maybe there's more here that Matthew didn't give us, but we know he says, follow me. And these disciples begin to follow him, and that's where we begin. We begin to follow Jesus, and we don't have to know where he's going or what he's going to do with us. You see, he says, follow me. And then he said, I'm going to change you. See, he was taking them as they were to make them into who they needed to be. He's changing their very identity from someone who is lost to someone who is found. You know, there's a, a great church in our state, uh, New Spring Church, and one of their core values is that found people find people. I think that's a beautiful way of saying that if you are a follower of God, you're to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ coming to seek and save the lost to every man, woman, and child you meet. You've heard us say this phrase, you know, we want to see every man, woman, and child within our circle of accountability have multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. That's just not a, a thing we say. That's something we believe. That's who we want to be. That's who we are as followers of Christ. Now, ultimately, Jesus tells us he's going to shape us and change us, right? He said, I will make you. He's going to do something in our lives. So how's he going to do it? Well, he shapes our head, heart, and hands. That is, he changes the very things that make us who we are. He changes the very core essence of our identity so that we may be faithful followers of Christ, so that we are equipped and empowered to do his mission of spreading the glory of Jesus' name across the earth. So let's think about these. How does God change our head, our mind, right? Well, when we think about this concept of changing our head, we learn to know who God is and what he's done for us. That is, we study the Bible and we study theology and doctrine. We go read those big books with big titles because they teach us things about God. We strive and desire to learn the deep truths of our faith. That not every one of you needs to go to seminary. That's not what we're saying here. What we are saying is that we're going to dive into the Word of God and we're going to understand what's happening here. We're going to have a firm foundation of the Scriptures so that we may be able to give an account of our faith always. Our head fills with this information about the grace and truth of God. That our lives and our hearts are changed by these words. Now, as we continue on this path, our head is changing, but our hearts are changing as well. Not only do we think differently, but we feel differently. 
You see, we not just learn these things, but we then believe and assent in these things. It's not just enough to say, I believe it, right? Like, hey, I think these things are true, or I believe there is a God, or hey, I might think that this is true. No, we're saying I'm going to build, I'm going to rest my life upon these things. That if they're not true, I don't know what else to believe in. But my hope is anchored in these truths alone. We let the truth of God that we have learned be lived out in our lives. We feel differently about things. Those that we might have ignored and looked down upon previously, we now are filled with compassion and concern for those people. Those that we might have stepped upon on our way to the next ladder, to the next ladder rung, we now see to lift them up. We encourage them. We care for them. You see, these truths move us from this idea of information to transformation. We're different because we know who God is and what He has done for us. You see, Jesus tells us that we will know a tree by its fruit. And if we are spending time following Jesus, He changes how we think and how we feel. And perhaps most importantly, for the world around us, He changes what we do. Look with me in this last concept of hands. Remember, we've talked about head, heart, and hands. We're talking about our, our mind, our body, our soul here. We work out our faith in action. Yes, we're telling people about Jesus. We're proclaiming the good news of a risen Savior who sits on the throne, who has found forgiveness for our sins through His death, burial, and resurrection. We proclaim this truth that there is a God who is coming to reconcile the world. We are serving the least of these, the broken and the tired. That we do things like compassion ministry, where we serve those around us, we care for our neighbors, we take care of those around us because we're demonstrating the love of Christ. You see, we, as Jesus would tell us, we live our lives as if we're a light in the world. That the world looks upon us and sees the gospel message in word and in deed. You see, Jesus saved us for a purpose, plain and simple. God's mission is now our mission. And we recognize that we're responsible for our own little slice of history. That for most of us, we're only going to live, God willing, 70, 80 years. I know some of the people who are listening and watching this, you're well on the other side of that, and to God be the glory that He's given you the time He's given you. But in the time that I live on this earth, I'm 30 years old. I may live to 70, 80, 90, God willing. I am responsible for what I do with every minute, every moment that I live on this earth. That every man, woman, and child I encounter get an opportunity to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to. That I'm responsible for the places that I live, work, and play. You see, our hands exist for His service. That we are merely instruments in the hand of a Redeemer. And you and I are called to work in this world so that God may receive all the glory. And so this is how Jesus changes us. He changes our head, our heart, and our hands. That we can't separate our mind, body, and soul from the things of Christ. Who we are on the inside shapes what we do on the outside. If our identity is that of a follower of Christ, being molded to be like Him, then we'll behave like Him, 
and pursue others because we're fulfilling this last part of the verse. That is, we're fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, this idea of evangelism, evangelism is for the harvest. Evangelism is for the harvest. You see, as God has been shaping us, he's been doing so for a greater purpose. We've been changed so that we may go and tell the world of the one who has changed us. We have the privilege and the honor of proclaiming the name above all names to the world around us. That we get the privilege of living and risking all for the name and glory of King Jesus. We are ambassadors for Christ. This is such a beautiful, powerful responsibility. Now you hear this and you think, why is this important, Walter? Well, I want you guys to picture our church building. Uh, know that right now when I'm preaching, it's, it's empty. You guys aren't here with me, but you know what our building looks like. You know where it's at, right? Uh, 4602 Durant Avenue. You guys know where we're at. So as you're picturing our building, I want you to just imagine a circle around it, right? It's about a one-mile wide circle. Stretches from roughly uh, Park Circle, the circle itself, over to Rivers. Roughly one mile in diameter. You could walk that in a couple of minutes, right? In that one-mile circle, about 1,500 people live here. That's 1,500 people that live here, right? You've driven through here. You've been in the area. There are a lot of homes, a lot of places for people to live, a lot of beautiful homes, right? 1,500 people live in this square-mile circle. Now, according to research from the South Carolina Baptist Convention, of those 1,500 people that live here in this circle, 1,080 of them are far from God right now. That if they were to die today, they would spend eternity separated from God. One thousand eighty people who are far from God. That's just an estimate. Particularly in the Charleston area, those numbers could be higher. That means that of the fifteen hundred people to live here, a thousand of them will die and go to hell if God were to call them home today. Now, I know that you feel the weight of that statement. That even now, preaching to an empty room, I feel the, the air is heavier. That you could drop a pin and you could hear this. It's this reason that we pray Luke 10 2 every single day. You've read this verse, it'll be on the screen. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That if those numbers are accurate, this verse is true. That the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so we're to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers. Let's be very clear about this. That Holmes Avenue cannot reach every man, woman, and child in this area on our own. That every single church in this area working together cannot reach every man, woman, and child in this area alone. We need to partner together and serve this community, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. 
We need to see more churches planted here in Park Circle so that people have opportunity to cross from death into life. We need more churches here, more people who are passionate about the gospel of Jesus so that every man, woman, and child within our community has multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That includes you and I doing our part to be faithful to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel message to the world around us. I will say this as an aside. Uh, if you have not joined together with us to pray Luke 10.2 every day, uh, every day, every morning at 10.02, a group of people here pray. Every morning at 10.02, we pray here celebrating the good news of Jesus Christ coming to seek and save the lost. So at 10.02, 10.02, I would pray for you, I would encourage you to pray with us, to pray this verse, that God would multiply the laborers for His harvest. So that every man, woman, and child within our community would have an opportunity to respond to the gospel message. You see, it's these numbers, this reason that we put such an emphasis on evangelism and outreach, right? That if these numbers are correct, and trust me, I believe there is accuracy here, we've got to reach this world around us. We have a world that is around us that is far from God and in need of this Savior that we know. In the midst of this, in terms of feeling this weight, I want to provide some encouragement. You see, I know that if you're watching this, you, you feel this weight. That whether you believe in the things of Jesus Christ or not, you hear those numbers and you go, that's a lot of people who don't believe in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And if you're like me, you feel some other emotions there. You, you know that you're called to proclaim the gospel, but frankly, sometimes you're just discouraged. We've had these times where we share the gospel and we feel like we blew it, right? Man, I couldn't have done a worse job. We share the gospel multiple times, perhaps to the same person, to different people, and people don't respond. Maybe you've gone to all the trainings. I know we've done many things. There have been other things done through the years. And maybe you still feel like you don't know how to do it. Maybe you still are sitting underneath that weight of, I don't know if I know the words to say. I want you to hear those are real, valid concerns. I've felt that way as well when trying to evangelize, right? That if we're honest with one another, it's a hard, difficult an often discouraging task to evangelize. It's a challenge. But in the past few years, I have found a resolution to some of these concerns in my own heart. That I'll, I'll let you in on this secret on, on what I've learned that has encouraged me in these times of struggling to evangelize, of perhaps doing a job that I think is not up to par. You see... What I've learned is to focus less on, my, on the fruitfulness, right? And focus more on my faithfulness in this task. I focus less on the fruitfulness, the results, and focus more on my faithfulness to this task. Wait, you might say, what does that mean, Walter? Look back with me at Luke 10.2. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want you to turn your attention to Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down for heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth, seed, bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. Finally, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. I, Paul speaking, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see, I think these passages explain this proper perspective we're to have. You see, the emphasis in these passages is that God provides the fruitfulness and you're only responsible for the faithfulness. I want you to hear this again. I'm going to say it. I want to be very clear about this because I think this is an incredibly freeing statement for us. God provides the fruitfulness and you're responsible for the faithfulness. That it's so free because if indeed God is in control of these things, if He is working together in these areas, we believe these verses that He's going to raise up people from the harvest. That he's going to give us more laborers to reach His harvest. We believe that His word doesn't return null nor void. Will He believe that God is the one who gives the growth? Then we can trust these things. We can trust that we didn't blow it, but rather we proclaim the gospel to the glory of God. We can trust that we didn't mess it up. Rather, we proclaim the gospel to the glory of God. We haven't failed. We proclaim the gospel to the glory of God. We aren't clueless. We have proclaimed the gospel to the glory of God. You see, this truth that God is in control is so freeing and encouraging for us to rest in. As a believer, it gives us comfort that our task is empowered by a holy God. That you and I can be faithful to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ coming to seek and save the lost to a lost and dying world. And know that if we are faithful, God himself has promised he will provide fruitfulness. Perhaps not today, perhaps not tomorrow, maybe not next year, but he has promised that when his word is proclaimed, that gospel message that he has come to seek and save the lost, it will never return null nor void. See, as a believer, we can rest in his control in the midst of uncertain times. That I don't have to remind you of what the world is doing right now, the situation we're going through. I know that like me, you've gotten 1,000 emails from every company you've ever contacted. We're with you in these uncertain times. Well, thanks, AT&T. Like, I, that's great. But the reality is, as we rest in this uncertain time, we rest in the fact that God is in control. We hold tight to the reality that God has not failed us yet. and He's not going to start now. Now, I need to note that this is a, an encouragement for believers. Yet, I would submit to you who are listening, who perhaps doesn't trust in Christ, these are the very reasons that you should look to trust in Christ. 
that as a follower of God, you know your life has purpose and meaning. You know that he holds the world in his hands and nothing is going to happen that he is not working through. That you know that no matter what happens, you're assured of tomorrow, whether that's in this life or the next. It's this gospel message that brings hope to you and I. It's this gospel message that God created the heavens and earth. He created mankind to be in an intimate relationship with him. To know him, to be open and honest about who we are. And in the midst of that, we sinned. Beginning in the Garden of Eden, that Adam and Eve sinned and fell short of the glory of God. They tried to be like God and they were rejected. They were sent out of the garden because of their sin. Yet God, in that moment of sending them out of the garden, didn't send them out without hope. Because his promise in that time was, as he sent them out, that one day they'll come a Savior. It's this statement you've heard that in Genesis 3.15, he will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. That Savior is Jesus Christ. He walked this earth a perfect man. He lived a life that you and I cannot. He was innocent and blameless. He was holy and righteous. And he went to the cross as an innocent, holy, righteous, blameless man and bore the weight of our sin. You see, that is what Genesis 3.15 is pointing to. That in that moment, Satan and his forces said, Look, your Savior is dead. Yet, that was the very moment that Satan lost his battle. Because in that moment, as Jesus took his last breath, the weight of our sin and shame died with him. The weight of our sin and shame was put in that tomb. Yet three days later, when he rose again from the grave, our sin and shame didn't leave that tomb. That tomb is missing a body, but our sin and shame remains there. And it is by trusting in that resurrected Savior, by looking to Him and calling out for forgiveness of our sins, that you and I can be redeemed. That we can turn away from the things of our sinful flesh. We can look to Jesus and we can become a part of the family of God. That we can receive all of these comforts, these assurances that we've talked about today. And so if you're listening and you're wrestling with the things of God, I encourage you, talk to us. You can comment in the chat. You can reach out to us, Holmes Avenue forward slash contact. You can tag me on Facebook, right? I'm watching this on Facebook right now. That I want to know what God is doing in your life. Pastor Brian does as well. Our team here is ready and waiting to see what God is doing in your life. Whether it's prayer, accountability, encouragement, whatever you need, we're here for you. Here in the next few moments, I'm going to pray for us. And our band's going to come back up and lead us in a time of worship. I'll spend a few moments in just silence, allowing you and I to come to God on our own. To beseech him for the things that we have that we're wrestling with to just cry out to him on our own individually and after a few moments i'll close this in a time of prayer and uh, we'll have an opportunity to celebrate the grace of god by singing this last song with our worship team
So if you would, would you bow your head and go to the Lord in prayer with me? Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that you are a God who cares enough to call. That when we were lost in the wilderness, you called out to us. That what you called out with was not a message of condemnation. It was not one of anger or despair. But it was a message of hope. That you called out to us and said, you are created in my image. You have value. You have meaning. That if you accept me as your Lord and Savior, there's forgiveness. And Father, each and every one of us are grateful for this offer that has been put before us. For some of us, we have celebrated the, the, this time of, of worshiping you. We're yet again praising you for the grace you've shown us. For others today, this is their first time of celebrating the grace of Christ, that they've become believers today, and we are grateful for the message that you've put before them, that there can be hope and redemption in this life. And perhaps there are still others wrestling with their faith, trying to determine where it is you're leading them, Lord. Father, we're grateful that you're speaking to each and every one of us. We pray as we leave this time of studying the word and, and move into a time of worshiping through song, that we would not forget the truth, the heart of this message. That you have brought us into the family of God to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ has come and seek and save the lost. It's a beautiful truth that you have come to seek and save the lost, and you're not done yet. That even in this world where people are looking for hope, they're desperate for something to cling to, you are still at work that you're actively calling out to those around us, seeking to rescue them. And we're grateful for the truth there, that you're a God who's still at work, who's still in control, and has not abandoned us. So Father, as we close in this time of worship, may you let us sing your name boldly and clearly because of the grace you've shown us. May we sing loudly so the world may hear of the Savior that has redeemed us. And Father, we are grateful for you. Let that be made known through our time of worship now. We're thankful for all you've done for us. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you guys join with us in a time of worship?